Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on select Fridays in May, each film touches upon artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, kicking off with Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro on May 10th at NortonSimon.org. You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from Alleist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at LAist.com slash sweeps. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. We continue our program with a look at how girls and young women are depicted in animation. We've heard Charles's reviews on this edition of the program of The Tunnel to Summer, The Exit of Goodbyes, an animated film from writer-director Tomohisa Taguchi, and also the Taguchi-directed film Digimon Adventure 02, The Beginning. But Charles, you've written about, uh, most recently in the New York Times, about this issue of how Japanese animation treats girls and young women in a far more sophisticated, more realistic way than American animation. Why is that? Um, I find it puzzling because Japan is in many ways still a much more sexist society than ours is, yet they're giving, giving us girls who are layered and complex and individual. And yes, they have strengths, they have powers, uh, they're smart, they can be brave, but they are also at the same time, afraid and nervous and insecure and have tempers and weaknesses. And I don't know if it's that uh, an American director who tried to do that in an animated film would be told, oh, that's not a positive role model, that's not a behavior we want girls uh, to try and repeat. But I think the result is that we shortchange girls uh, in our audiences by giving them something like, Ruby Gilman, okay, that was one of the big flops of the year so far. But she's the kind of Western character we do where she's socially maladroit, but she's very good at the STEM system. She's very intelligent, and she's uncomfortable around other people and doesn't know how to talk to a boyfriend. But when she gets superpowers, when she falls into the ocean, she suddenly kicks butt. And that's not the case of the characters in, say, Suzume that we had earlier this year from Makoto Shinkai, a really great director, or, or Anzu in um, The Tunnel to Summer. They're both faced with, you know, very dire situations. Suzume is trying to close the doors that allow uh, monsters to loose earthquakes on Japan. But she doesn't do anything an intelligent brave high school girl couldn't do. No superpowers for no her. No superpowers. And uh, that's also true of Natsuke in Hosoda's Summer Wars. He said very specifically, there are no superheroes, there are no aliens, there are no mecha, no robots in real Japanese society. And when Natsuke is facing off against the rogue AI program, which makes that film you know much more timely, although it's several years old, she is scared. She's up against, she's trying to prevent a major disaster. She's drawing on skills we know she has using a traditional Japanese card game and her own courage. But she's also not sneering at the boys. Um, uh, Kenji is using his ability as a super calculator to help her. 
Her cousin is using his knowledge of martial arts. And when uh, strangers start offering her their uh, account, online accounts to use in her fight against the rogue program, she bursts into tears, which is a very believable reaction from someone who's so touched. And that gives her, you know, she sets her jaw. Yeah. And she goes out and defeats this uh, horrible rogue AI program. But again, she hasn't done anything a real high school girl couldn't do. So human, yes. even with robots or even with, you know. <laughs> but, but, but so the question is, and you get into this in the New York Times piece that you did last year, is, is it the system for animation in Japan that makes this possible, that the budgets are lower, there's much more individual artistic control on the part of the director doing their own storyboards, not having executives telling them no? I mean, is that what fosters this or something else going on? I think that's a really important part of it, that a director like... Shinkai or Hosoda or certainly Miyazaki, who's given us some very memorable heroines, uh, don't deal with committees. They board the films themselves. They may work with a screenwriter. They may not. But they storyboard the entire film. And when they're satisfied, it goes into production. There are no focus groups. There are no executives giving notes. There are no committees to make sure everything is properly woke uh, they just make a film and tell a story about a character they care about, that they believe in. And I think that belief uh, transfers to the screen that they've created a character who was alive there. She's not a franchise. She's not a role model, though she may have admirable qualities. She's a real living, breathing character. And I find so few of those uh, in American animated films, I find it very frustrating. And you're mentioning how maybe there'd be notes if it was an American animated film that the character is too off-putting or there, you, you couldn't empathize enough. One of the things in my more far more limited exposure to American versus Japanese animation is that in American animation, when a, a girl is portrayed as, as difficult in whatever way, it often feels contrived. It's like she's she's made difficult so as a setup to the journey and and it doesn't feel sort of earned. It, generally in Japanese animation, my feeling is that the difficulty feels real. It feels believable. And then the journey that the character goes on, you can be more emotionally invested in her even if she's difficult to to sort of be next to, so to speak, at the beginning of the film. Oh yes, well, I mean, Anzu in in Tunnel uh, to Summer, when the she's the new girl in school, and when the the school female bully starts bothering her, she just finally says, "Okay," and she gets up and she punches her out, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, bam, okay, you know, you don't fool with Anzu after that, and you discover what she's protecting. Uh, in herself under that as you go along. But the director isn't afraid to give her that moment to, you know, to tell someone off uh, or to be scared. In um, Shinkai's Your Name, Suzume has to, uh, I'm sorry, Mitsuha, wrong, wrong Shinkai film. Uh, Mitsuha has to contrive a way to save the people of her village from a meteor strike. 
Uh, and she's terrified, as anyone would be. And with her friends, they set off an explosion. They black out part of the town and get everyone to move to where it's safe. But that also means standing up to her stuffed shirt politician of a father. So it's and, a girl power. Yeah. But it's it's a, it, it feels more authentic, perhaps, than some of the American films, which are very intentionally girl-empowered, um, which maybe don't come by it quite as honestly, particularly, as you said, because of the need to make the character a superhero. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have power stenciled across her. It's just that faced with a challenge, faced with a test, she rises to it. You know, think of Chihiro in Spirited Away. Miyazaki said at the beginning that, you know, she's whiny and she's spoiled and she's selfish. And then through the trials that she undergoes at Yubaba's bathhouse, she learns about love and discovers that there's more to her than she knew. So by the end of the film, she's capable, she's acting, she's, I guess you would say she has agency in this yeah. country, but she's willing to do it, and you've grown with her, and you've seen her grow from something to something. So it's it's more of a journey that feels believable and organic to the character. Charles, I love that as you're thinking back to these characters, they're so touching you emotionally. You feel it. You're you're still emotionally invested in those characters, and that's the power of great film of any type. Oh, I agree. And uh, that's not to say that there are no interesting American heroines. You know, I like particularly like Violet in the Incredibles movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Sarah Vall said something to me about when she was first approached, she told Brad that, oh, I couldn't play a superheroine. But Brad said, what about a girl who's so shy she can make herself disappear? And she said, that I can do. And, you know, that's, again, a superpower that comes out of her personality. And once again, by the end of the first Incredibles movie, she can talk to the boy she wants to go to the movies with and say, I'll buy the popcorn. It's a great character. Yeah, there's an, an assurance, but she's earned it and she's developed it. We're talking with animation critic Charles Solomon, one of our critics on Film Week, about uh, the way that Japanese animators, or in the case of The Incredibles, treat women characters and girl characters so well. We'll have more to come in a moment. Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center presenting American Mariachi by Jose Cruz Gonzalez. It's the 1970s and women can't be mariachis, or can they? American Mariachi is a feel-good comedy about familia, amor, and tradición that will send your heart soaring and put a bounce in your step with a wave of vibrant, infectious live music. On stage through June 9th, tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on four consecutive Fridays starting May 10th. More information at nortonsimon.org. Yeah. 
It's Film Week on LAST 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Just a reminder, in case you just tuned in, you can hear all of this week's reviews from our trio of critics by going to LAist.com or by listening to the podcast wherever you get your audio. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast of Film Week. Joining me now from the Variety Trade Publication Executive Editor of Film and Media, Tatiana Siegel. She covers the business of the entertainment industry. Tatiana, thank you so much for coming on to talk about your recently published article, Crisis at Marvel, Jonathan Major's Backup Plans, The Marvel's Reshoots, Reviving Original Adventures, and More Issues Revealed. Um, This is an in-depth story that looks at Marvel's troubles. Let's start first with with just what did COVID bring to the studio that that has been so challenging? Um, Well, first of all, it definitely coincides with a period when box office returns began to diminish. And at the same time, you saw Marvel start to put out so many TV shows for its Disney Plus streaming platform that it became not only overtaxing for the viewers, but overtaxing for the VFX workers and You just had such an oversaturated marketplace that I think that the fans began to start started to tune out. This has to be deeply concerning for Disney because the Disney Plus streaming service, which just uh, announced a price increase, is, um, you know, reliant on Marvel content as a huge part of the platform. Yes, it's definitely one of the main pillars, as is the Star Wars universe, which provides things like The Mandalorian. And obviously you have the Disney proper projects that like The Little Mermaid. Um, But Marvel is a huge, huge part of the overall health of Disney Plus and why people would tune in or pay to, you know, subscribe. Another big issue that you get into is uh, the acclaimed, talented actor Jonathan Majors, who's uh, ready to go to trial in New York on uh, allegations of domestic violence, which he has denied and, and said that he is the victim in those allegations. But what is Marvel thinking about how it needs to work around Majors as he goes through the legal process? So based on my reporting and my sourcing, there's kind of no working around it. They either have to make a decision um, whether to continue with him or not, because it's not like he's somebody who's going to be in, you know, a a supporting character in one movie. He had been um, sort of the, the person who was going to, be the centerpiece of the phase six of the Marvel universe, Kang the Conqueror, his character. And there's even his name is in the title of the next Avengers movie, which will be the fifth Avengers movie. Um, it's uh, it, it has the word Kang, the, you know, Kang is in the title. He is the eponymous character that um, this universe will be sort of centered around. He's a villain. Um, so, you can't really have a situation where you can kind of let it maybe play out. Uh, You you sort of have to make a decision one way or another. 
And uh, also he uh, was going to be at the center of the next season of Loki, uh, as I understand, on Disney+. Plus. Yes, that's the one that's currently airing, and the finale will be on November 9th, which will have Jonathan Majors front and center. That was shot back in 2022. The problem with this trial that he's about to start later this month is that there are already signs that there could be other shoes that drop. Um, The DA's office released a filing Uh, last month where they referenced a London police incident and that incident was in 2022 and it implies that the there was a a victim um, who received medical care Um, so you got to think that that's going to be something that's introduced at the trial And ironically, London 2022 is when he was shooting this season of Loki that will um, culminate on November 9th. We're talking with Variety's executive editor of film and media, Tatiana Siegel, joining us to talk about the piece uh, published very recently in Variety, looking at the crisis at Marvel, all the different challenges that the studio is facing. Also coming out, uh, I believe it's just next week, we're going to see uh, the Marvels, the sequel to the film of four years ago, Captain Marvel. What are the expectations for the Marvels? Well, the expectations in terms of tracking are that the opening weekend domestically sort of tracking to be about $75, $80 million, which would be great for a non-Marvel movie, but for a Marvel movie, Uh, To put it into context, that's about half of what the opening weekend was of Doctor Strange's most recent uh, outing, which was uh, a Doctor Strange sequel last year, which did $185 million in its first weekend. So Marvel, in a way, is almost a victim of its own success because the expectations are gigantic. But 75 to 80 is not a great start. And... It's something that is a sequel to a movie that made over a billion dollars. So, you know, it starts to make people say, huh. And then quality wise, uh, one thing I can tell you that uh, from my reporting is that they took the unprecedented step this time to screen the film to a public, you know, screening audience in Texas back in June. They almost like, to my knowledge, they never do that, Marvel. They only screen on the lot for Disney friends and family and employees. Was this so, to fix something? Was that the idea that to get ideas of things that had to be corrected? I think they wanted to get a sense of what people outside of the Disney lot would think of this movie. And it was my understanding based on my reporting is that the reviews were just like, okay. And Marvel's sort of never been in the business of being just okay. Well, as you write, the film had a quarter of a billion dollar budget. So, um, you know, that's part of the whole success of it, too, and the cost of all the visual effects. And and so that kind of puts the the opening weekend projection in perspective. Absolutely. This is and by the way, it's at least two hundred and fifty million dollar budget. Um, it, it's you have to make so much more money than what this film will likely make um, in order to really be considered a hit or even break even. So 
Um, it, it's obviously we're going to have to wait and see what happens, but I don't think it's looking like a film that is going to turn around sort of the recent cooling streak of Marvel. Uh, you also in the piece, Tatiana, write about the fact that there's been a lot of criticism of the visual effects as that division of Marvel has been under tremendous pressure because of the volume of content produced for theatrical as well as for streaming on Disney+. And as a result, the quality of, of, of some of the, um, the, the visual effects have suffered. Yet another problem uh, for Marvel to deal with and for Disney to be concerned with. Tatiana, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Larry. Appreciate it. Tatiana Siegel, Executive Editor of Film and Media at Variety. For all of us at Film Week, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.